Lester and Hughes Dispensable Church had its first wedding. <laughs> the couple's name is now Deweese and Bill DeFore. Or since Deweese is from Texas like me, it's Deweese DeFore. <laughs> I can say that being a Texan. <laughs> Now, they're going to come up and teach us a magnificent song. Uh, I didn't warn them, so... Uh, <laughs> Bill doesn't have his uh, guitar, but... Uh, would you come up and... Okay. <laughs> now, I want you to... You see, this is what God does. The, e <laughs> the ego made a mess. We all know that. But then God comes along and takes the same mess and makes it into freeform sculpture. You see. <laughs> now, if you listen to these the lyrics of this song, probably the person who wrote them thought that he was giving the message that we must sacrifice. But if you'll listen to them the way God hears them, you will see that this is exactly God's sentiments, uh, these lyrics. Did you want to sing it through? <laughs> you don't want to do any of this, do you? <laughs> okay. You want to sing it through once? Uh, uh, sure. <laughs> Real simple lyrics. Um, and join in, like, any time you feel the Spirit moving you, and you feel like you know it, go ahead and act like you do, because you probably do. Um, we've got some. We, we've got uh, a seat on the. We got a couple of seats on the floor up here, and I'm, or back there, or if you want to stand in the doorway back there, you can. If you want to stand up, you can. <laughs> if anybody, this song really needs accompaniment. So if anybody knows how to make blues and mouse noises, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> Stomp your feet, or clap your hands. Any of those would be fun. Everybody wants to laugh, nobody wants to cry, everybody wants to laugh, nobody wants to cry. This little girl is so embarrassing. Everybody wants to go to heaven, nobody Okay, let's do the first part again. Y'all join in. Everybody wants to laugh. Nobody wants to cry. Everybody wants to laugh. Nobody wants to cry. Everybody wants to go to
Everybody wants the answer without having to ask why. Everybody wants the answer without having to ask why. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Well, we sang that song, among others, uh, when DeWeese DeFore got married. <laughs> and we had uh, two ascended masters there in the teepee where the wedding was held. One of them said during the opening prayer given by Reverend Carol Bell Knight. Mommy, I want a pee-pee. <laughs> there's, there's, there's some uh, floor space up here if you want to sit down. There are other people. It's, it's not humiliating. <laughs> And the prayer went on, uninterrupted. Mommy, I want a pee-pee. And so finally, those of you who know Carol and her great sense of humor, she just included the word pee-pee in the prayer. <laughs> the other ascended master would stick his head in the door every once in a while. He was a great, wonderful dog named... Fleck, that's right, Fleck. Now, the first ascended master was recognized. The second one was not recognized by everyone, and he was shooed out. Every, but he knew his place and kept coming back in anyway. Then we all adjourned out of the teepee, and uh, we went over to uh, uh, El Faro. Uh, this time we only had one of the Ascended Masters with us. And what we've been talking about last Sunday, and those of you who heard me talk the Thursday before that, began to happen. <clears throat> the little Ascended Master had his water glass there. And uh, so the first thing that happened was that he put a knife in, and he put a spoon in, and he put a knife in. Then he lit his imaginary match. Did each one. He was a little over two and a half. Then he would hand it and have people blow it out. And they would blow, and he'd point out the one they didn't get. <laughs> and they'd have to blow again. So then he took the knife and the fork and the spoon and he made a train. And he was going all over. Right. Now his daddy, who was sitting next to him, as uh, the fun began to escalate, <coughs> and, and mountains of Parmesan cheese were began to be sculpted, and 
Uh, you know, you know what happens when you have a two and a half year old at a restaurant. The daddy began to worry. He didn't he didn't uh, listen to uh, more intently to his guidance. He listened less. He began to worry, and he thought that he had to draw lines. Uh, he thought maybe the little ascended master was uh, disturbing people. So he drew a line, as we all think we must do. And he said, uh, if you throw anything else on the floor, I'll have to take you to the car. So eventually, of course, he threw something else on the floor and his daddy took him to the car. But the games continued in the car. And uh, the car had to be fixed, he said. So he went out and kicked the right front tire. Came back in and said the car was now fixed. And on and on. I was the daddy, and it was my little boy. <laughs> so I want to, uh, you know, <laughs> I want you know the little columns in the paper where things are corrected. I, uh, the the talk I gave a week ago Thursday evidently has caused some controversy, and. Um, it, it isn't my purpose to cause controversy. I don't think it's helpful to do that. I, I want us to all join together in love, and I don't want us to go around arguing and, and condemning each other. And it's difficult in a short period of time to be sure that everyone understands everything you're saying. So since we covered a little of this in last Sunday's talk, let me just go over a couple of points. There was an owner of a health food store, uh, evidently an audience, when I pointed, <laughs> plus uh, some people who made their business uh, in the field of nutrition. When I quoted that very old and wise saying, Take no thought of your body what you shall eat. <laughs> and when I pointed out how scared we've all gotten about everything, we just happened to use food as an example. And that here we have all the fruits of the earth within a few blocks of wherever we live. And yet we're scared. We, we scan the food in front of us to see if it might be a danger to our beauty or to our health. And I believe I told you that <clears throat> there are people now railing against orange juice, against avocados, against um, tomatoes and uh, eggplants and uh, what else? It's natural fruits, green peppers, chilies, chilies calls. Well, I won't tell you what. <laughs> we know what beans cause. <laughs> and then if you add mucus, you know, it's just nothing to eat. 
So let me say a word about health food stores. Health food stores are wonderful things <laughs> because they, they have things you can't get anyplace else. They've got delicious. Have you ever had the almond spread? It's, ter it's terrific. You can't get that in Safeway. They've got all these marvelous foods. Actually, the whole idea of a health food store is wonderful because there's not all these little protectors in the food, you know, these little soldiers that are going to watch out for us. <laughs> Just natural foods. And I really do believe that health food stores, those that are not already doing it, if they would base their pitch on love instead of fear, they would double their business. We don't have to go to a health food store because we're scared. We can go there because we love it. You see? Now, the other thing that I talked about was sex. And uh, there was a minister that took me out afterwards, not Carol. Uh, <laughs> uh, and said, uh, do you mean we're not supposed to masturbate? And um, I said, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. And he said, well, there's a, there, are a lot of, uh, there were a lot of young people in that audience. Are you telling them they're not supposed to have sex? I said, no, no, I wasn't saying that. So let me say one more time. <laughs> it's been my experience that the time comes in everyone's life in which he realizes that there is a bigger source of happiness than the body. Now, that's just a fact. But we cannot turn to the body and to God at the same instant. It's not a possibility. Because we perceive them as opposites. We perceive the body as something that's very limited, that has a very tiny grasp, that's a victim of almost everything, has only a few days to live. And its pleasures are extremely limited. And so when we go through the day and we, and we don't like the way we feel, we're a little depressed or we're a little anxious or something, if we turn to the body for the peace of God, for our deep, deep joy and satisfaction, we are simply going to be disappointed. It, it just doesn't have what we want because we made it. Because it's merely an outpicturing of our own mind. Now that doesn't have to be believed in order for the limits of the body to be apparent. You don't have to believe that it's simply an image held in thought in order to see how limited it is. For the same reason, we do not have to fear the pain of the body. Because the same limits apply to pain. Every once in a while there is a special on one of the national networks about unbearable pain. And someone is interviewed who's uh, in unbearable pain. And the, the, the uh, reporter puts the microphone under the woman's mouth or the man's mouth. I, I'm remembering a woman. Uh, are you in unbearable pain? Uh, yes, uh, I'm in unbearable uh, Well, how long have you been? Uh, well, I've been in unbearable pain for five years. <laughs> well, obviously, she's not in unbearable pain. 
I mean, this, there's, that's not quite what's going on. There's no doubt that we all experience pain. And I'm not sure that the competition between pains is really accurate. You know, whether or not the pain of a nervous breakdown is less than the pain of being burned or the pain of a psychological beating that a parent may administer to a child is less than a physical beating. We tend to think that these things are somehow ranked. I don't believe that they are. I believe that, that we cannot judge our pain to be greater than someone else's. And there's no doubt that we put ourselves in a great deal of pain. But it has the same limits. Now, of course, everything, including food and sex and walking in the park, and listening to music and every activity that you can think of can be used by the part of us that is gentle and kind and that sings all the time. And that includes sex. There's nothing, sex is nothing different than anything else. If it's used with love, it is lovely. If it's used selfishly, then it turns to ashes. Now, about masturbation. <laughs> I can see we have a room full of chronic masturbators. <laughs> now, if you're going through the day and suddenly you don't like the way you feel, and, or you're anxious, or something. If you turn to the body for pleasure, you simply are not turning to God. That's all. That, that's all. Is there's no sin? There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a fact. You can turn to God for your deep satisfaction and pleasure. Now the ego, of course, will tell you that you will have to give up something. Not so. Just. If you feel ready for this step, simply try it, gently, kindly. Just try it. See if there is a greater source of satisfaction. So no sacrifice is called for. We're never asked to give up something. We're just asked to let go of the teeny bit we have and open our hands so that more can be put into it. there's a very interesting statement in the in a course in miracles which says god does not ask you to give up the means of sin but merely to turn them over to him we're not asked to give up the means of sin because this whole world can be used as a means for sin if we turn over those means to God, he can use them. Everything that we have misused, and we have misused everything, can be used by God to make us happy. 
instead of used by God, used by our ego to postpone our happiness. Now, I understand that uh, as we began <laughs> running out of lessons and so forth, that uh, previous ones were then handed out, just so that you'd have a, a, uh, something in your hand once again. Uh, and so you don't necessarily have the right lesson here, but this particular lesson, wholeness and spirit, uh, actually this is the section from the text, is so typical of A Course in Miracles, and that is that uh, you could spend five years on this one thing. It's so packed. We didn't read anything last time, so I thought maybe we could just go through this today, and uh, it's very short. Uh, all together, it's just a page and a half. Let me just show you how rich this is. And let me emphasize again that A Course in Miracles is just one of a thousand ways that God talks to us. 10,000 books have the Word of God in them. A million books, as well as every bird that sits on, the, on a branch and every breeze that rustles the leaves of a tree. So this is just, of course, one course. That's why it's called a course in miracles. But let's just see how rich this is. The miracle is much like the body in that both are learning aids for facilitating a state in which they become unnecessary. When spirit's original state of direct communication is reached, neither the body nor the miracle serves any purpose. While you believe you are in a body, however, you can choose between loveless and miraculous channels of expression. You can make an empty shell, but you cannot express nothing at all. You can wait, delay, paralyze yourself, or reduce your creativity almost to nothing, but you cannot abolish it. You can destroy your medium of communication, but not your potential. You did not create yourself. So one of the basic arguments of the ego, as we've said before here, is I haven't got time for all this spiritual stuff. And we believe we've just added one more burden to our life. This points out that there are two counselors within us and we do always choose one of them. Giving up on a spiritual approach to life is not doing nothing. It is turning to a particular counselor. And that is the counselor that we refer to as our good judgment, that we think we have spent so much time honing. So here we've lived low these many years, and we've gone through all these experiences, and we think we've learned so much. All we have is hell strung out behind us. We just have a series of painful, embarrassing experiences that we're hell-bent on avoiding. If you look carefully at what your ego calls good judgment, it is merely an avoidance. There is no love in it. Because where in the past is the indication of this event tonight that you're trying to decide whether or not you should attend? 
or this career. Uh, Deweese was talking about how she chose her career, which was she was in college, possibly was it graduate school? She was in graduate school. She got on an elevator, and the elevator stopped on the wrong floor. She got off, and she did not know this particular discipline. And she got interested. I wonder what this is. This isn't the floor I was supposed to get off on. And that is what she has done for the rest of her life. That particular discipline, not the other one. Now, how can our judgments allow for that kind of possibility? Whereas if we renounce good judgment and do like puppy dogs and kitty cats and squirrels who just leap from branch to branch and let the song within us tell us what to do and consider not how long it will take. Never ask how long it will take. Just ask, do I want to do it now? Then you can get off at the wrong floor and thereby change your whole life career. But good judgment would, would uh, step in and say, it is, you have made a mistake. Get back in the elevator and punch another button. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't good judgment tell us that? You've made a mistake. Everything that Elizabeth Kuba Ross now believes about life after death hinged in part from a mistake, a typo that a woman made in filling out a farm. I won't go into the story, but what happened is that when this particular farm came across Elizabeth's desk, something told her there are no mistakes. Leave the typo the way it is. And this was the opening of a series of experiences that led her to do what the medical profession did not want anyone to do, which was to stand up and say, not I believe that there is survival, but I know there is survival. And of course, she was branded as a, as a kook. But that doesn't matter to the people who want to hear what she has to say. But this all started with just a typo. The basic decision of the miracle-minded is not to wait on time any longer than is necessary. Time can waste as well as be wasted. The miracle worker, therefore, accepts the time control factor gladly. He recognizes that every collapse of time brings everyone closer to the ultimate release from time in which the Son and Father are one. Equality does not imply equality now. When everyone recognizes that he has everything, individual contributions to the Sonship will no longer be necessary. And this is why I have urged you, because I found it such a delight myself, to learn from 
our little masters, the little animals and the little children. And this is why I've suggested that possibly you would like to turn your clocks around. Don't give. I have a watch on. People need to get someplace, and I want to end at a time so it's convenient. I don't want people to feel embarrassed at the, you know, having to leave at a particular time. I understand all of that. We all understand all that. But look at all the opportunities in which you don't have to have that restraint on you. If it, if, if it would be kind to uh, be there on time and so forth, of course you want to be kind. But notice how often this does not have to be done. Notice that, that this world is steeped in time. And you will notice that very quickly if you will simply turn your clocks around or tape over your little digital clocks. And then if you have to look at it for some reason, you turn it around and look at it. This is not you know, some sort of... A <laughs> we're, not, uh, we're not trying to uh, mold you into something here. But... Just notice how often you consult the clock as to what you should do. When you could consult joy as to what you should do. Now, this same paragraph includes something that I believe it's very important to see. And that is that at this stage that we are all in, we have different talents. Equality does not imply equality now. So we know that our potential is, is equal to everyone else's. But we do have individual talents. We have the talents that will make us most happy. And we can use them and we don't have to feel arrogant about them because everyone else has his or her talent. And one of the talents that's very confusing to people is the talent of hearing guidance. Now, all of us hear God's voice in some way. But what often happens is, if we don't hear it the way someone else is hearing it, we feel slighted. We think God has pets. <laughs> and he does. <laughs> it's just that he, there isn't anyone who isn't his pet. While we're on that, let me just read you these two sentences on that subject, which is in the next paragraph. The specialness of God's sons does not stem from exclusion, but from inclusion. All my brothers are special. So there's a lot in the Course of Miracles about special relationships. And specialness, as it's used by the ego, will make us unhappy. But all of us are special to God. And you can feel God's love in an extremely personal sense. And you can receive guidance. And are in fact already receiving guidance in a particular way. Now some people hear a voice and it tells them to write something down. Some people hear a voice and it tells them to go say something to someone. Some people just have a feeling, a, a, a sort of a gentle preference like a stream that runs through their lives. Some people see images. Some people read signs. They can just tell by the way they look at things what it is they're supposed to do. Each of us has a way in which God is speaking to us. That way will expand. It will expand in ways that will be quite startling to you. If, however, 
we get caught up on this new expansion, we will delay ourselves for a moment. So instead of asking God, why isn't he talking to you the way he's talking to so-and-so, just gently see how he is talking to you. Notice that when you ask for peace with all your heart, it, it is indeed given to you. It goes deep within you and it heals and it expands outward. When the atonement has been completed, all talents will be shared by all the sons of God. Now, those of you who are not familiar with A Course in Miracles, A Course in Miracles uses all traditional Christian terminology. So all of its terminology is masculine. God is not partial. All his children have his total love. And all his gifts are freely given to everyone alike. Except ye become as little children means that unless you fully recognize your complete dependence on God, you cannot know the real power of the Son and his true relationship with the Father. And so this is what the little child does. He does it so completely there's no hesitation. He relies completely on God, his Father. Little children don't like things that weren't occurring in the arms of God. They don't like to be suddenly hit or suddenly dropped. And they don't, they don't like loud, discordant noises. But they do like everything that they do and everything that they see. And because there are these few intrusions does not mean that we can't that, 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 they, that they rebel against does not mean that we can't learn from them <laughs> the, the intrusion that they dislike most of all is the intrusion of restraints they do not understand restraints that makes them sane and us insane <laughs> really just, just look around at little animals and children and, and they'll just teach you everything there is to there is to know now a child listens to the voice of joy as to what to do so everything is a pleasure he sees everything as a pleasure he sees the little knives and forks and the and he sees the little bowl of cheese and he sees everything as a pleasure he doesn't hesitate he doesn't ask himself any questions he immediately uses it to enjoy and if the people around him are relaxed enough the little child will get everybody involved in it. We had three little uh, children over at our house uh, yesterday. And I was just sitting there watching them at the table. They're at the table, and here they've been served their lunch. It was time for them to eat their lunch. See? <laughs> now, this, of course, a child doesn't understand. It's time for your lunch. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> but anyway... They love us so much that they'll go along with us. <laughs> so they sat down at the table. And uh, then one of them got up on the chair. Now, well, chairs are for sitting, right? We all know that. Chairs are for sitting. They got up. Uh, one of them got up on the chair and started going around like this. <laughs> and the other one got up. <laughs> and they just, I mean, they're just... 
their eyes were just smiling and their whole bodies were smiling and they just rotated around and around on these little chairs for, I don't know, several minutes. They were so happy. They knew what chairs were for. And then everything else. You, you, I, I don't have to tell you. Every one of you knows all this. So, I won't say that. So, you know, <laughs> Okay. I've read you the two senses about specialness. All my brothers are special. If they believe they are deprived of anything, their perception becomes distorted. See, a child doesn't believe that unless we impose some rule on them. You can set a child down anywhere, provided that it hasn't been taught these things, and it will enjoy whatever is before it. It knows God is present. It knows God's in little pebbles. It knows that God's in dirt that you can pick up and let it just fly off in the, in the breeze. Whereas we are always thinking five minutes ahead. You see, we never, we don't, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here we are sitting in heaven. God has turned even this thing, this mess that we made, into heaven if we will just pause long enough to pick up the dirt and let it fly. You see? And to see the people around us as gifts. And not see chairs as cages. And glasses as shoulds. And not ask ourselves, should I put my napkin in my lap, although no one else has? <laughs> Don't ask yourself that question. Consult joy. You might put your napkin on your head. <laughs> but have you noticed how little children can do that? A little child can get someone else to start playing with it because it's always playing. It's always trying to engage everyone else in play. Now, it does it gently. And pretty soon, you know, without realizing, one of us adults will start playing, you know, especially if there are no other adults around to see how foolish we are. <laughs> Ultimately, every member of the family of God must return. Recurring theme in A Course in Miracles. Mistakes will eventually be seen as mistakes. We don't have to worry about anything. It doesn't matter how far along the road we are. We're all going to get home. No one's going to be left out. No one is going to dip their bucket in a well that has no water and pull it up forever. They will only pull it up so many times and they'll say, this well has no water. <laughs> now, some of us have dipped that in, you know, 50 times, some 5,000 times. But eventually we say, this well doesn't have any water. <laughs> Which means any form of fear, any form of attack. So we will eventually give up all of our forms of attack. We will eventually see that everyone is innocent that we all do the best we can. That has to be. Not only does it has to be, it has already happened. As those people who are in a position to know have told us, and as, and as has been recorded in the scriptures, and as has come to us in, in prayer, the world is over. Actually, we're only in a sense of time, just as we were in our dream last night. We've already made it. We're just taking the last review. 
That's why there's nothing to decide. This day has already happened. We're just reviewing it. So we're just we're just going through the fun house that's already been constructed. We're on the little train, and the little things are coming out, and you know, <laughs> and, and, and things that, that go over our shoulder, and there's splashing noises, and there's bumps, and there's all kinds of things. But it's all been planned for our amusement, for our joy, provided we don't go back to misusing it. And we're all going to get there. Now that doesn't mean we have to argue with someone who. Tells us that they're only going to be uh, how many saved, Jerry? Uh, Five hundred something, whatever. We don't have to argue with that uh, thing, you know. And everybody's going to be cast into a lake of fire and all this stuff. It's not necessary to argue with someone like that. All someone is doing when they start telling you that is that they're telling you that they're not happy now. They're not telling you anything about what's going to happen. An argument, if anyone engages you in an argument, it is never about anything in the future, although it will always seem to be about something in the future or something in the past. Never is it about anything in the future or in the past. It's always about how the person is feeling right then. If you'll see that this is an expression of how they are feeling right now, then you will reach out a hand of comfort and not get engaged in the, the pretense of the conversation which is that uh, this individual is very upset about what happened the other day, or uh, this has been going on, and I want you to clean up your act, or, uh, you know, we've got, to, we've got to talk about this coming Thursday, about the party. It has nothing to do with the party. It has to do with anxiety now. Did you, have you noticed this? That little children, two, three years old, when you ask them, what did you do today? Well, they don't. They they just don't answer that question. <laughs> I mean, you can persist and persist and persist, and then they will come up with something. You see, they're not interested in what they did today because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why would you want to go back and talk what you, about what you did today? But we do. We try to teach ourselves these lessons. We still try to develop our good judgment. We look back on this thing that happened that was so embarrassing or didn't seem to go right, and we think we can teach ourselves something from it, and we go over it and over it and over it. But all we have to do is just become as a little child, and let it be, and then we'll just move on the little train, and everything will be a joy for us. The miracle calls him to return because it blesses and honors him, even though he may be absent in spirit. God is not mocked, is not a warning, but a reassurance. God would be mocked if any of his creations lacked holiness. The creation is whole, and the mark of wholeness is holiness. Miracles are affirmations of sonship, which is a state of completion and abundance. Whatever is true is eternal and cannot change or be changed. Spirit is therefore unalterable because it is already perfect. But the mind can elect what it chooses to serve. The only limit put on its choice is that it cannot serve two masters. 
Now, we can choose anything we want, but we cannot choose opposites at the same instant. We cannot choose to love and attack the same instant. We cannot turn to God and the body at the same instant. It doesn't matter if we turn to the body. It's just a well that has no water. We can do that as long as we want. But we can't turn to God and the body at the same instant. We cannot see our sister and our brother as a body that we've got to have and see them as the light of God that is already one with us. It just can't be done. So we can dress so as to attract the eyes of other bodies. And we can have an occupation that attracts the attention of other bodies. And we can culture our speech. And we can sprinkle our sentences with facts and sophistication. And we can hope to draw the attention of other bodies to us in so doing. But if we choose that, we cannot see this individual as pure light that is already one with us. And it is possible to see anyone as pure light. And once you see them that way, you will never see them again. It is an acute joy from which the ego never recovers. <laughs> If it elects to do so, the mind can become the medium by which spirit creates along the line of its own creation. If it does not freely elect to do so, it retains its creative potential, but places itself under tyrannous rather than authoritative control. As a result, it imprisons. We can't imprison ourselves without, without imprisoning others. We cannot think a fearful thought without joining everyone else who is thinking a fearful thought at that same instant. If we throw our weight to joy this instant, no matter how isolated we appear to be physically, we throw our weight to the joy and the joyous effort that everyone else is making. We cannot make a mistake alone. And this becomes one of our first motivators. We want to be happy because we want other people to be happy. We don't want to be afraid because we want other people to have fear lifted from their heart. And this is something that many mothers understand. They understand that if they are in a state of anxiety, that their little baby is going to be upset. And so they choose not to be anxious for their baby's sake. And we can do that for each other. If you can't make the effort for yourself, make it for the person that this will touch. See that it does indeed touch everyone. To change your mind means to place it at the disposal of true authority. The miracle is a sign that the mind is chosen to be led by me in Christ's service. The abundance of Christ is the natural result of choosing to follow him. Notice, the abundance of Christ 
is the natural result of choosing to follow him. Not that you get a fancier car or a bigger house, but that you love the house you're in. And you love this wonderful old car. You've maybe even given it a name. I've, I've even known people who have buried their cars. They've loved them so much. They wouldn't have traded that car for a new car for anything. That's, that's what it can become. The abundance of Christ turns everything to gold. But if we start thinking that there are good things and bad things out there, then we are in a state of misery and we're going to keep clawing and scratching and trying to get something that we don't have. I deserve to go first class by God. But there's no end to first class. Uh, my sister was telling me about a, uh, not my brother-in-law was telling me about a friend of his who makes uh, three to four million dollars a year. And he said, he came over one day and he said, I've got this friend I want you to read. This guy is really rich. I want you to come meet him. He makes $80 million a year. Now, this guy's got like a pauper compared to him. I do. Two or three million a year? No. There's no end to that. Never, never does it end. To want anything is to devastate this instant. All shallow roots must be uprooted because they are not deep enough to sustain you. The illusion that shallow roots can be deepened and thus made to hold is one of the distortions on which the reverse of the golden rule rests. And this, unfortunately, is the way most of the world operates. We start out thinking that we're victims and we unwittingly assume the goal that we're going to turn this around and we are going to be the manipulators. We're going to come out ahead in this marriage. And so you'll see people who will strive to get the marriage back together so they can leave. <laughs> As these false underpinnings are given up, the equilibrium is temporarily experienced as unstable. Now, this is a, a recurring theme in A Course in Miracles and in all other spiritual literature. As these false underpinnings are given up, the equilibrium is temporarily experienced as unstable. We must look at pain in order to let it go. And in the act of looking at pain and looking at our unkindnesses, we do appear to be in distress. That is not wished upon us, but we must see that we are being unkind. And seeing that we're being unkind, we will feel a, a deep sense of self-betrayal. And we will be confused because we will think, well, how can I get out of this? And of course, the answer is we cannot by ourselves. We cannot think that we are basically unkind and escape from unkindness. So we must join with something else. We must realize something else in order for that to happen. And so what happens is we sort of go along in, in a gentle uh, rise on the spiritual journey. When you make your 
commitment, as most of you probably already have, that you are going to walk straight into the heart of God, that there is nothing else that matters except this. You will, life will, will temporarily get worse. <laughs> this, this period seems to last a few months or a year or two. <laughs> so here's here's what's happened. Here we are, we're we're walking down this road, and we come to a fork in the road. In other words, we see a distinction. We realize that there are two ways to go through life. And so now there's a question. Which way shall it be? And we place our foot on the spiritual path. Now having done that, we will almost always, I'm sure there's some people that do this effortlessly, but for most of us it isn't done effortlessly. We will, we will pause there with our foot on the spiritual path and we will look back to the old way and we'll think, surely I couldn't have been mistaken. Now surely... Uh, all those things that I ran after must have had some value. And we know that if we walk down this spiritual path very far, we will lose interest in those things because we can feel it happening already. And so for a moment, there is an increased sense of tension. There is an increased sense of internal conflict. And during this period, your behavior may become erratic. <laughs> and you may, uh, you may do things that you didn't think you were capable of doing. It's as, if, uh, it's as if sin, the root of sin had been eliminated and, and now it's floating around, these shallow roots that it talks about. It's as if they had been cut off and now sin just sort of floats around seems to land on anything in your life and on you. And during this period, you are likely to make a second mistake. You are now seeing that everything is your responsibility, that nothing happens in your life without your request, that you're a victim of no one. And the mistake that you are likely to make is that you will say, therefore, I am guilty. So what we do is we go from saying, I am a victim, and the world is guilty, my spouse is guilty, my boss is guilty, my body is guilty because I don't have good health, whatever it is. Now we realize, at least to some degree, that everything is our choosing. And so the mistake that we make is we say, oh, I am guilty. This is happening, therefore, I am guilty. Because the ego always re equates guilt with responsibility. God always equates responsibility with freedom. So my experience has been that this period lasts, uh, as I say, a few months to a year or two. And then there's a real turning. It's as if we come to the top of a hill. And things get a lot easier. And you can definitely feel when this time has come. You don't have to ask yourself has it come because you will know it has come. 
It's not completely easy by any means, but it is a lot easier. Because you have begun to lose your fear of love. You've begun to lose your fear of letting people in. You've begun to lose your fear of letting people know all the things that have happened. And none of these things matter, but it does matter that we love each other so much that we open ourselves completely. We have got to help each other. We've got to hold each other's hand in love, and we can't do that while we're pretending to be superior. We've got to be an open book. And the interesting thing that happens is there's a deep relaxation that comes with this decision. That I will not hide anything. I don't care what anybody knows about me. I'm doing the best I can. Here I am. Three steps down the road, or whatever it is, four steps down the road. It's all right. God takes me where I am and welcomes me. And that way we can take other people where they are and welcome them. Because we realize all the things that we have gone through and how long it's taken us. As these false underpinnings are given up, the equilibrium is temporarily experienced as unstable. However, nothing is less stable than an upside-down orientation. Nor can anything that holds it upside down be conducive to increased stability. So that's the end of that section, wholeness and spirit.